My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Even when I had the firm and working with other accountants, there's certain accountants that eat, breathe and sleep accounting and like know the tax law inside out. But yeah, there was that... This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Torrin Shum and in this episode, we're speaking to Anthony Spagnolo, a jack of all trades and a rising star in the property and development space. We learn how this accountant turned investor and developer has managed to juggle so many projects while still running his property advisory business and much, much more. Bagnola is used to wearing many hats. Sort of followed in my father's footsteps, uh, took over the accounting firm, um, ran that for 12 years. Um, at the same time, my father was um, uh, actually in, in the property development space, so he sort of focused on that side of things and I, I managed the firm. Um, however, that wasn't always going to be my uh, sort of end goal, I guess. I did see myself as uh, staying as an accountant for my whole career. So um, when we got out, out of the accounting firm, sort of, uh, I was just in, uh, involved with the development side of things um, all along, sort of uh, to some extent. And then I just, just moved into that space also, um, and sort of. Uh, yeah, family business, you wear many hats. However, I also um, enjoy the project um, management of um, our developments and that yeah, was always something that interests me. So even when I um, uh, was yeah, making career choices earlier on, I was, I was a decision between sort of construction management and accounting. So I then was able to revisit that and um, along the way I also decided yeah, to get my builder's license so that was a little bit more education um, yeah and, and yeah, one thing led to another and, and uh, from that point I was still involved in the family business however I then decided to do some of my own developments and just yeah, uh, yeah just sort of kept it sort of pretty small scale with townhouses and duplexes and so that's uh to date that's sort of what i still uh, i still do and love doing um i have also 
along the way. Now, now for the last 18 months, I've set up a property advisory, so a bit of a, um, a bit of a hybrid, I guess, from what I was doing with clients in the accounting space and also my um, skills in property. So I've combined the two, and I just uh, enjoy, yeah, helping clients to, to, to uh, yeah, experience the same journey or, or wherever I can help, I guess. So. His switch from accounting to property development was a bold move. Yeah, some account, a lot of, even when I had the firm and working with other accountants, there's certain accountants that uh, eat, breathe and sleep accounting and like know the tax law inside out. But yeah, there was that, yeah, a, a lot of people that make me say, what, you're, you're an accountant? Like they didn't, I guess I didn't fit the um, general stereotype or mold. So why did he do it? You need a new challenge sometimes in life, and and that's sort of uh, yeah. Property is obviously a, 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 it starts out as a pat, pat like sort of you get one investment property and it's passive income and then it builds up. But sort of all along, I was focused on going to that next level and and in the actual development space, I guess. So. And what does a typical day for Spagnola look like? Essentially, I'm dealing with clients on a daily basis, so. Following up new leads, um, following up client briefs that we've already sort of worked clients we're working with. Yeah, so a lot of the day is spent on the phone, um, uh, and then yeah, and, and then or, or, or also yes, yeah, sourcing properties, dealing with our agents or property developers or yeah, whoever we wherever we get source stock. So that takes up a large portion, and then in between, I've also got projects running so it's just managing managing the A's uh, progress uh, of projects I guess so that that probably doesn't take up as much time as the um, property advisory I guess but you, you, you just don't want to take your eye off the ball to keep up with the many moving parts involved in his business Spagnolo likes to stay educated Oh, well, the accountancy essentially has been replaced with the property advisory, like the accountancy we sold back in 2010, I think it was. So, so um, yeah, so I've got, I've, yeah, it's not that many things, but recently, yeah, my, uh, a close friend of mine who does all my digital marketing is very um, niched in the, in the uh, finance and brokerage space. So, works with a lot of brokers. So, uh, at the start of the year, I actually got my broke, broking license as well, so not that, that that's just a, something to have there, and it gives a greater level of um, understanding, I guess. Every property purchase for a client, we need to we need to know the way to structure loans and that. So I've got te- I've got supported by some bro- a team of brokers. However, that's not my yeah, my focus is property. He has always been based in and around his hometown in Western Sydney. Uh, so I grew up in Western Sydney. Um, so uh, yeah, I lived in sort of Bosley Park and Horsley Park. Uh, attended school at Fairfield Patrician Brothers College, a Catholic school. Uh, school in, so in West, yeah, Western Sydney. Uh, our office, even from that point, was um, always yeah, in or around that area in Fairfield. Um, and yeah, always, all, I've always sort of been based in Western Sydney, I guess. So. When deciding what to study at university and ultimately what career path he would take, Spagnolo played it safe. So obviously, uh, I was at university, um, I had a conversation with 
my uncle, who's a, a lawyer or solicitor, um, and he said he sort of advised me. He goes, "Why do you want to do um, construction? You can do that later on. Just get a get get um, get a profession behind you. So whether it's account accountancy, law, and then just the, the obvious step was accountant accountancy with yeah, working like in my school holidays and whatnot um, with my father. So I had a bit of a taste of it. Uh, I thought I thought uh, anything." Yeah, finance, but finance-based or analytical would hold me in good stead for yeah, um, open up doors down the track, I guess. So, so I actually studied um, at uh, also Western Sydney UWS uh, in Parramatta. Uh, so I did commerce, uh, Bachelor of Commerce Accounting. So that was my study. But when eventually moving into the property development space. His skills in accounting were put to good use. I find that yeah, it's everything in life more is analytical. Even with property, you're crunching the numbers, so it's not that I was able to get away from it totally. So, so did Spagnolia branch out after university? Yeah, no, I was always sort of in um, in the family business, I guess. Just there was yeah, just a smooth transition um, at the time. At the time, like uh, my father, like obviously didn't want me to report to him directly. We had a manager, so it felt like I was working elsewhere. Like probably still got yeah special privileges, I guess. But um, I did always think about going um, somewhere else to work. But it just uh, yeah, whilst I, I um, uh, was yeah sort of had that opportunity. And it was easy to sort of get your own client base as well. So just yeah, once once things got going, I just um, yeah, didn't have any need to go elsewhere. I guess it may have been good to work yeah in a larger firm and get some different sort of experience. But um, I think I always knew that it was going to be a stepping stone. So that's yeah, this is just the way it unfolded. And what was the family business like? We had it was probably a max of. Uh, 15 staff, I guess, at one stage was the largest that the firm sort of um, got. Uh, so we thought, yeah, from individual tax returns, company clients, uh, self-managed super funds, yes, yeah, so a bit of a bit of a mix, I guess. What did Spagnolia learn from working closely with so many businesses? If your debtors aren't paid, I guess, and you've got bills to pay yourself, there's always going to be challenges, I guess, and yeah, cash flow, I guess, is. The main issues that uh, most businesses were facing. So. Positive cash flow allows for Spagnolia to spend more of his time investing. My strategy for property, I wanted to obviously want to hold as much as possible. Um, so doing projects, I didn't and I didn't really really ha- have that cash cash flow um, business anymore. Um, so you'd have to sell sell along the way. However, I found yeah the property advisory lets me get back to my roots and what I like. What I like to do in dealing with people on a daily basis, and he takes advantage of the downtime between developments. Oh yeah, I think so as well. And then uh, um, look, uh, obviously, if it's just even a normal investment, you need time for uh, for a asset to go up in value just through um, through capital growth. So even with some of our developments, there's, there's a the A process would go from a year or so before you turn dirt. So in between, you need some some revenue coming in from somewhere. So that's sort of um, yeah, it's definitely definitely uh, sort of how 
how things came about, I guess, in that, that sense to us um, to get. Look, as well, it's when, like, as I mentioned, when projects go for a year or so for the getting the groundwork done, I found, yeah, also found that I had a little bit more capacity on my day-to-day schedule and needed another challenge. And Coming up after the break, we learn more about Spagnolia's first investment property. My first investment was sort of close to home. Um, as you do, you sort of know the area, so it's just a standard rent, rental property. How having good connections has aided him in his investing journey. I had a network of people through the accounting business, so helped some clients with some projects along the way. And yeah, as you know, make good connections. So yeah, just helping some clients initially. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. His property investing journey began in the role of a silent investor. Um, obviously, yeah, I was working in the business throughout uni, um, finished school in 99, um, so completed uni in sort of... Uh, Started full time the first year, but then sort of went part time. So I didn't finish uni till about I think it was five years or six years from yeah, so yeah, 2004, 2005. But I was essentially working as an accountant that whole time um, till about 2010 uh, or 11, say 11. Uh, so probably 12 years or thereabouts. So yeah, 10, uh, so. Um, throughout, as I mentioned, we're in sort of property development uh, as well. My first um, uh, investment was sort of close to home. Um, as you do, you sort of know the area, so it's just a standard rent, rental property. Um, also, uh, uh, we did a sub, my father did a subdivision. Since selling the accounting firm almost a decade ago, Spagnolia jumped into the development and property investing space full-time, gaining more hands-on experience. Working on the larger scale projects like with, within the, the group, yeah, we had some other partners. So we've done yeah, apartment buildings, 70, apart, 70 units, um, some commercial properties, built a Bunnings at Rockdale, um, uh, some rezoning processes, one on the central coast that comes to mind. Uh, at the moment, we've got um, a bulky goods um, project happening in Western Sydney. So there's all and a rezoning also in sort of Campbelltown, some land for for residential uh, lots, I guess. So there's bits and pieces of everything that I get. Like I've got a bit of a feel for the whole uh, whole whole space, I guess. So. so what was his role? Yeah, those big ones were just more so from. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, project management, management side of things. They weren't personal investments, I guess. It was just more so within the larger scheme of things. And how did he get involved in these larger projects? Yeah, I had a network of people through the accounting business. So helped some clients with some projects along the way. And yeah, a lot, a lot of, yeah, as you know, uh, make good connections. So yeah, just helping uh, some clients initially. Then, as I mentioned, the family business was also property development. Working on those projects is where I sort of really got my teeth into things. Um, and then 
to tell you the truth, the, the sourcing of sites, because um, uh, obviously I was at the point where I was running jobs, but uh, the, the groundwork of um, what makes a good site or, or the sourcing, uh, I essentially had to do some self-education again. So a lot of seminars and study and, yeah, books and whatnot and didn't sort of know where to start. Um, some online courses in property development, I guess. Um, Steve McKnight is one that comes to mind that I did an online sort of um, mentoring course. So that, and then just just actually getting, getting into it and being active, looking online for potential sites, crunching some FISOs, uh, working out, uh, yeah, what makes good site talking to my architects and town planners and whatnot. So, yeah, I didn't pull the trigger on my own personal portfolio until a little bit later on. So, for a few years, I was just doing that self-education probably, uh, I don't know, five or seven years back maybe. Um, this is sort of where things sort of scarred a little bit. Um, I was... Uh, my aha moment, I guess, was um, for a while, yeah, I was ta- like, uh, yeah, we had several partners in the business. So I was always, I was bringing projects to the table, but sort of um, didn't seem like, you know, yeah, we had enough enough things going on in the pipeline. So I was waiting for my opportunity to, to a certain extent. And um, my wife said to me one day, uh, why don't you just start small? Like, just look for a du- duplex townhouse and just do it yourself and then that was something that really got me going basically so a lot of like a lot of fizos in um, things in western sydney just didn't stack up so i had to then i started looking in better areas so eastwood ride um uh, so my first projects came in those sort of areas ride eastwood um and I've just completed one in Epping and now um, one under construction should be completed by the end of the year in Carringbar South. So I, I, I basically, through my analysis, found out that you have that to make the sort of mar- the profit margin that I was setting out to achieve, I had to go in a little bit um, more expensive areas, I guess. Yeah. What was his first project like and what did you learn from it? We already had a DA on 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 it this one, so I intended um intended to proceed straight away. However, yeah, and, and just put a deposit one day, and I, and I said, yeah, I'm never going to know unless I take take the plunge or the numbers look good. So I said, give it a go. Um, then working with my architects, I uh, found that yeah, looking at the current DA, um, I thought it might be achievable to increase it. Um, so it was basically yeah, duplexes, two duplexes. Um, I thought there would be an opportunity to change the design a little bit uh, and achieve four-bedroom um, duplexes instead of three. However, that was a bit of a challenge just due to um, the ride council changed their LEP because uh, the frontage was, uh, I think, uh, only around 15 Meters and the block was around 580 square meters. Um, so it qualified for dual occupancy under the uh, old LEP DCP. However, to to make the changes that I, I wanted to make, 
Um, yeah, I could only do it as a section 96. So it was a little bit challenging because the, the new requirements that came out were that uh, for dual ox were that you required 600 square metres uh, and, and 20 metre frontage. So if I went for a new DA, it wouldn't have qualified. So I had to, yeah, be work work with my town planners and, and architects to um, to get the result that I was after, just for better resales, I guess. So. so, did he succeed in transforming the duplexes from these three bedrooms into four? The previous design had a lot of steel in it and wasn't really. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, construction friendly, I guess. So that was an another thing that pushed me to sort of go through in changing the, the design. However, uh, it was a learning experience dealing with council, I guess, and delays. And the previous design also had at the back of the house, it had a, so I went from a pitch roof and then lower level where the kitchen was. Um, it looked like really funny because it went from pitch roof and a flat roof and I couldn't work out couldn't work out why they had designed it like that. And I had no information from the previous owner who was basically an owner occupier who was then upgrading his family home to um, move to a bigger place. So what I found out along the way, once I put in my new design, that I had objections from the next door neighbor. So it just, it was a real challenging neighbor, um, was very, um, anti-development, I guess. And the reason that the, there was a flat roof on the back of the property was because uh, he this neighbor was actually the president of the Cactus and Succulent Society. So he actually, the neighbor worked, the, the guy that I purchased the property off actually built that back roof to appease the neighbor because he knew that he had these rare cactuses, I guess in a certain location and didn't want to block his son to these cactuses. So something that should have been a quick couple of month turnaround turned into about seven or eight months. So extra holding costs. Um, I offered to, to build to build the neighbor uh, a greenhouse at the back of his property, trying to find a solution, but he just wouldn't budge. Um, so that was a bit of a challenge. And how long were the delays on this project? I remember the conversation. He said, "Get it, get it." He said, "Get it through your thick skull. Uh, these cactuses have been there for 25 years, and I'm not moving them." So he didn't move them. <laughs> so what happened in the end? In the end, I got it through with my design. He wasn't happy. Um, caused a little bit of grief throughout the build process, but I, I actually, at the time, I didn't have my builder's license. Um, I had a con contract build with a mate of mine. So yeah, he was giving me daily updates of what was going on with the neighbor causing grief, but I'm glad that I wasn't the builder on that job. It was all worth it in the end for Spagnolo, who caught the boom of the Sydney market. Yes, well, I got natural uplift from from the actual, yeah, the growth. So I caught the, the boom. So um, that was... Um, that was one aspect. Look, you can't you can't factor that in when doing your feasibility, so it's a bonus. So, yeah, it more comes down to hard work and work crunching your numbers on the current market uh, situations, I guess, and anything else is a bonus. So. When taking the delays into account, the development had a speedy finish. 
Uh, another trick uh, thing that was tricky, I guess, um, was that I didn't allow for was the probably the time that it takes to, to get uh, in, in this uh, instance, it was um, a strata subdivision. Um, so probably you got to get things going a, a, a little bit more with the checklist, working with your sort of um, your uh, surveyor to get the OSD positive OSD tanks, which is for drainage. You've got to get your positive covenant, covenant signed off registered with the bank before you get your certifier to then go through his checklist to give you the final OC. So lucky I was um, intending on keeping those those um, uh, finished products, I guess, prior to having the OC, had like an interim sort of OC, but I mean, until you get your final OC, um, you can't actually, if I, if I wanted to sell the product, probably took another five to six months at the back end of the uh, project to get the strata subdivision so yeah that, that, that was yeah, the whole project was a learning experience and where do these properties currently stand i've sold one now uh, of those uh, properties uh, and then i've gone on and i've done yeah, another three or three um uh three yeah duplex uh yeah developments since then uh, i've got one under construction now in carrying south so yeah, so the aim is to buy and hold, but yeah, I had to sell one to fund this other project. And yeah, uh, even if I've got to sell one out of each project as we go, yeah, as long as you can sort of yeah, realise some profit and, and hold on to it, refinance at the end um, to get a bit of equity out. So. So, inspired by Anthony Spagnolo's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss his growing portfolio and what projects he's currently working on. That's six properties plus then hopefully at the end of the year, there'll be two to, two, uh, an extra two on top of that. Some of his best and worst investing memories. That was another drawn out project, I guess, that um, yeah cost us a fair bit of time, like probably six months to eight months maybe. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com tapiphone tap iPhone.